Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey everybody, welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Chrissy Crash. And before we get to Chrissy, here's a few announcements. First, TravelTalesPodcast.com is our website. Go there and see photos of our guests. You can see links to their social media. You can see stories that I've written. You can see stories that some of the guests have written. You can see links to our social media which is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. There's links to our Facebook page. There's links to Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio. We're also on iHeartRadio and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're uh, listening on any of those platforms, please give us a good rating and maybe say a few nice things because that boosts our presence and helps more people find the show. And I'd appreciate it if you did that. You want to write me? Tell me nice things? Suggest someone for the show? Suggest yourself for the show. All inquiries can be sent to TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Chrissy Crash, let's talk about her. Okay, I first saw her online in a uh, post from Mike Savas, who was a guest earlier this year on the show. He was down in Costa Rica, and he tagged her in a photo on Instagram. There they were surfing. She was all tattooed. And with a name like Chrissy Crash, I had to know more. So... I started following her Instagram account and realized that she's a personal trainer, a life coach, who's living down in Costa Rica right now in the town of Nosara, which happens to be the same exact little town that 15 years ago I took surfing lessons in. I stayed there for a week at surf camp, cool little town on the Nicoya Peninsula. She's an American who's living in Costa Rica right now. She was down there when COVID hit and then decided to stay. And if you're wondering about the name Chrissy Crash, as I was, she got it in roller derby. That's right. She was in roller derby. And that was her handle, Chrissy Crash. So anyway, she was down in Costa Rica and decided to stay during the pandemic. And now she's making it her home. She bought some property and she loves it. And yet another digital nomad who makes her living online. She has wellness clients. She trains people. She teaches roller derby camps. She's perfecting her surfing and her Spanish, and she is in no big hurry to come back to America at all. She's another example of a person who can live remotely nowadays. She wanted it, she made a plan, she worked hard, and now her plan has come together and she's loving life. So I found her pretty interesting and inspiring to talk to, and I got to talk to her a couple times because I did her podcast, where she interviewed me. And you can find her podcast wherever you get your podcast, pretty much everywhere like here. Just do a search on the Chrissy Crash podcast. That's K-R-I-S-S-Y, K-R-A-S-H. Follow her on all the social media. She posts a lot of stuff on Instagram that motivates and uh, inspires people, which I guess is her job, along with just cool, fun stuff. So it was a pleasure to meet her and to talk to someone who just follows their passions and works hard to see them come true. Please enjoy my chat with the one and only Chrissy Crash. Chrissy Crash of the what? Cleveland Crashes? Where are you from? Where is that? I'm going to guess that's not a family name. Let's get the name right out of the way. It's a, it's a roller derby name. Roller derby. How did you get involved in roller derby? Where, does that, where did that come from? Yeah. How, do, how does one stumble their way into roller derby? Well, roller what- derby was very big in the 70s. You know, yeah. I remember it as a kid, I would watch it and, and even rarely on like, you know, UHF channel, you had to like work the, <laughs> the antennas to get grainy footage of roller derby. And it was always out in LA or something. Yeah. You're wearing like a little tinfoil hat to try to, yeah. get, it, to get the the service in. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a little different now, right? Like that was more like WWF, like fake roller derby. I actually play more like actual real roller derby. Um, but so once upon a time in 2006, I was living in Huntington Beach. I was playing soccer for like a, a team in Anaheim. I was the only person on the team that spoke English. So it was like, I was like trying to crush it with this, like this, like air, this, like Anaheim crew. And I was like doing terribly, but I wanted to play sports. Like I was always like an athlete, you know, and I came out of college and I was trying to find something like to do to be healthy and fit. And 
I was watching TV one night and there was a commercial and these girls were on roller skates and they were like going by each other. And it was like roller girls, reality TV show. And I was like, what the, can I, can I swear? You say it if you want. Okay. What the fuck is that? <laughs> and immediately I like Googled like roller derby, orange County. And I found like a local league and I literally emailed them and I said, I don't know what this is, but I think I might be really good at it. <laughs> Were you, uh, I don't know, a roller skater? I mean, I did that as a kid, and uh, I haven't done it. I did do it this summer at a little pop-up event, and it was fun, but all these uh, junior high memories started coming back to me of going around the roller rink. Were you a big skater? I mean, as a little kid, like, right, like, first, second grade, we'd, like, go to the roller rink, and then after that, I got into the roller blades, you know? We all did the roller blade thing. Um but I hadn't put on a pair of roller skates in probably 10 years, no, 20 years, 20 years <laughs> by the time I found roller derby. So I bought a pair of roller skates, sight unseen, just bought some and showed up to a practice and was like, okay, here we go. And it was, it, it was horrendous for a minute, but you know, like, cause I'm an athlete and stuff, it's, it started coming pretty quickly. And, and, um, once I realized that I could like throw myself at people. It was all over. Now, is there a, a circuit for this for professionals? I mean, can you make money off this or is this kind of like a, a part-time gig? Cause I did see the, the Derby dolls like 10 years ago here in LA. I don't know if, were you a part of that? I was, I played with the Derby dolls from 2008 until 2012, maybe. I might've seen you then. You probably saw me. Were you? Was it at the Doll Factory? It was at yeah, it's like Los Feliz or something. Uh huh. In like a big warehouse had like a yeah. stone painted on it. Yeah. That, that was my home, man. You probably saw me play some roller derby. I was what? one of the tough cookies. <laughs> well, how? Uh, I mean, could you do this full time or, or? Oh, that's right. Yeah, no, we didn't get paid. Okay. There was no getting paid to play roller derby. However. I, there are ways around that, right? Like I happen to have been in a feature film about roller derby called Whip It that Drew Barrymore directed. It was written by an LA Derby doll. They came and did casting at LA Derby dolls. Me and my friend Rachel got cast as principal roles in this movie called Whip It. Um, so obviously we got paid like a feature film, which was cool. Um, since then I've gone on to build an entire nutrition and fitness company that completely revolves around women in roller derby. So I, it basically my full-time job is to work with people in roller derby, but to play roller derby in general, not really something anybody's getting paid me money. For. <laughs> well, you brought it up now. Uh, let's tell people what you're doing now. You're in, uh, Costa Rica and we're going to get to how you got down there right now. But you basically, you're, you're a trainer, but you're also, I guess, a life coach? Yeah, I do. I do total transformation coaching. I work with women inside and outside of roller derby. Um, I work with them on nutrition, fitness, mindset, reprogramming out of the diet or mindset, learning how to train sustainably. Basically, I teach women how to like not eat like assholes and to say nice things to themselves. <laughs> Pretty much it. But I love eating like an asshole. I know, I totally... but I do too. But just, <laughs> I like to eat like an asshole in in certain amounts, but also not because I'm eating my feelings, just because I choose to eat like an asshole. And that's the problem is most people eat like an asshole because it's the one tool they have in their coping mechanism tool belt. Whereas if you could learn all these other stress and emotional coping mechanisms, then you can choose to eat emotionally whenever you want to because you choose it purposefully or you could just eat some fucking pizza because you just want some fucking pizza yeah but i mean we all i don't know i like that in the aspect of it's it's so many people i know that are overweight they're they're not eating because their stomach is so big that it has to be filled it's all in their head i know two guys that got the stomach staples like the gastric bypass and ate through it basically yeah. they're still big and realize that oh the problem's not down there it's you're not eating because you're hungry. You're filling that void, some void with food. Yeah. I was actually talking to a potential client today and she said she had been looking into gastric bypass surgery and the guy was like, listen, you should get this surgery because 96% of people fail otherwise. And I'm like, 
fuck you trying to scare someone into that statistic. Like you have a 4% chance of succeeding without this surgery. Like talk to this woman, please about like the, the, like the actual health effects of not absorbing the nutrition from your food when you have bariatric surgery. Like no one talks about like the, the, what happens to these people over the course of all these years. Right. Or they eat through it. They just eat through it because it's not about your stomach's too big. It's because you don't have the tools. Right. I do. I give people tools. Okay. Well, First of all, where where did you grow up? I grew up in Seattle. I was born in Virginia, moved to Seattle when I was four with my family, lived in Seattle for till eighteen, and then moved to California to go to undergrad. And okay. I was there for eighteen years. Which school? Which college? Undergr- yeah. Undergrad. I went to Whittier College. Oh. Home of Richard Nixon and John Stamos. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's quite a mix. Nixon and Stamos. Nixon and Stamos. I'm trying to find a link there, and I really can't. I guess Whittier College is the only, and that's that's a, that's kind of a smaller school. Why why that one? Um, well, I was looking for a small liberal arts college, and I think at that time, whatever woman my father was dating happened to know someone <laughs> at Whittier College, so I applied there. Um, I actually went down to play soccer, but um, the coach that recruited me had gotten another job like right after he recruited me. So I came down and like, there was a new coach with his new team. So I didn't really end up playing any soccer. Uh, I ended up being the uh, president of a co-ed fraternity instead for many years. Um, so I, I like to say that I, I double majored in child development and inebriation. Sure. Yeah, so I got it. It was a great, it was a great four years. I have to say <laughs> I learned a lot. I started my first business there. Oh, okay. Was yeah. it selling booze to minors? No, it's mostly just selling a lot of weed to a lot of people. Uh, okay. <laughs> I like how we just we just call that a business these days. Would you ever think in those days selling weed that it was ever going to be legal and we could just go walk down the street and buy it at you a know, store? That's what I think is so funny. Like thinking about talking to my kids one day and being like, in my day, I had to like illegally sell weed out of the refrigerator in my dorm room and then risk going to jail. <laughs> and you can go buy it next to 7-Eleven. <laughs> and it was all stems and seeds and crap. God, that shake. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we're going to get into travel right now because people are like, is she ever going to talk about travel? That's my fault, everyone. But I wanted to get your backstory here because it's kind of interesting. Yeah. And what I've read, and, and you've talked about this on your site, how travel kind of transformed your life. But it was a weird thing. And it was this, I love this story of the date you went on with the, was it Fiji or something? Fiji, yes. Okay, tell that story. Oh man, eerily enough, after I made that post, that guy randomly texted me after years. And I'm like, is he following me on Instagram? <laughs> so basically, so I had just come out of a, a three-year very serious relationship and um, I'd hopped back on like Tinder, met this, this pilot. And we were messaging back and forth. I was kind of like doing some derby stuff and he was like, flying in and out. We couldn't hook up. And finally he was like, Hey, I'm going to be in Fiji for like five days. Like, do you want to just fly out and meet me there? It's a good line. That's a good line. Such a good line. And so like, I looked at flights, they were like 800 bucks. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The pilot couldn't fly you out. He flies private planes. So he was private flying his person out there, which is actually better. I like doing things on my own. I didn't want to get stuck with this guy. Yeah, but that's a, that's not a cheap ticket. Fiji uh, is not well, a, he's not asking I, you to fly to Vegas. You know, that's like, yeah, but I mean like I make good money. So like, you know, 800 bucks wasn't like the end of the All day. right. High roller. I didn't know what. You know? <laughs> All right. Derby queen. <laughs> you still, was, still hanging out of those weed profits. Is that what it right? was? Right. That's what it was. It was all that college <laughs> dorm room money, man. But like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, fuck it. it was like 800 bucks. And like, you know, I just got out of this relationship. So like, I was just, you know, it was almost like I got a raise when I got out of the relationship anyways. So, you know, yeah. so I'm like, yeah, this was like a Sunday. He's like, we're leaving on Tuesday. I'm like, perfect. I buy the flight Sunday night. I leave on Monday, get there Tuesday. And we just hang out and have a super magical, magical time together. Like he takes me sailing. We go like snorkeling, we dancing. Like, it was magical, but he wasn't like, he wasn't my unicorn. So then like at the end of it, I ended up going back. We hung out a couple more times and that was it. Never heard from him again until he texted me after I made that post. 
<laughs> so how many years ago was that? Uh, that was 2018. Okay. But had you done very much like international travel before that? Were you like a backpacker or anything like that? Yeah. So a couple of things. So one, when I was in college, so my first international trip, I was 16. I went to France with my French class. So that was my first trip. We went to France. We drove around in a bus. I got my tongue pierced in Nice while we were there. <laughs> Worst idea ever, because when you're trapped on a bus and you have a swollen tongue and you can't ice it for days on end, it's the worst idea ever. So France was my first experience, taste of international freedom and delinquency. Uh, in college, I went and lived abroad for a summer. I lived in Denmark for a summer. And then after the school thing, I went and traveled through Amsterdam, backpacked by myself, really like fell in love with that idea of like being able to just disappear into the world and like being just surrounded by people that spoke a different language. Like I just, I felt like this magical little invisible creature. Um, and then after that, thanks to roller derby, I've actually done a lot of traveling to coaching. So I went down, I coached in Brazil. I've coached in Puerto Rico. I've coached in the UK. Um, I've coached in Canada. I've coached here in Costa Rica. I'm actually flying to San Jose tomorrow to go skate with the girls down here. So roller derby really opened, opened that up for me. And so then I, I found this way of like, oh, I can make people pay me to come to them in all these cool places, which was pretty awesome. So uh, where is roller derby really taken off? I mean, because here, what, like when you were doing it and I saw you at the Derby Dolls, mm -hmm. it was kind of hot. And then the movie came out and it was kind of hot. And then the Derby Dolls went away. And now I don't hear much about it anymore. Is it is it hot somewhere else now? I mean, where well, is it really going? So here's the thing. L.A. Derby Dolls were bank track. Bank track is this big, you know, velodrome type. Oh, yeah, track, yeah. Right. Which, you know, you got to you got to buy a track. You got to house a track. You essentially have to run a huge corporation in order to have a bank track. There's also something called flat track roller derby where you literally tape it off on the ground. And so flat track roller derby is huge worldwide. It's in like 50 something different countries. There's a world cup for it. Like we're working on building a team to go to the Costa Rican world cup. Um, so roller derby flat track is really where like the grassroots, like where you can find it pretty much anywhere. That would be, seems like harder to me. It's hard. Yeah. Right? I mean, but you could tape it off like on a, on a in a parking lot probably. Right. Yeah. But you don't want to do a parking lot because when you fall and slide in a parking lot, it really hurts. But if you do it on like polished concrete, right, or like a wooden gymnasium floor is really great for that. I personally love polished concrete, like a nice basketball court. That's that's the jam. We actually are working on building a team here in Nosara. Okay. So, right. So you're in Nosara, Costa Rica, and yeah. you've been there since the pandemic started. Tell yeah. me that story because I like it. It didn't sound like it was planned for you to still be there. No. Well, so, okay. So Fiji guy, right? This was kind of the beginning of it. So, and he will forever be known as Fiji guy. Forever this known as Fiji guy. Forever known as Fiji guy. So Fiji guy, basically there was that trip. There was like this succession of trips that led up to me selling all my shit and then leaving the country. Cause there was like that trip. And then I also, sorry, I'm going to backtrack. In 2009, I read the book, Four Hour Work Week. Okay. Four Hour Work Week was like, build a location, independent business, do whatever the fuck you want, wherever the fuck you want. So first things first, I did that. And so the goal was always kind of to sell everything and travel the world. And, but then I got this relationship and we were getting married and like have a picket fence house and like Laguna Miguel and like have children, whatever. That didn't work out. Thank God. <laughs> you so should then, see the look on your face when you describe that. It was just, uh, like well, so many people's dream. You're like, I was going to have this great house and this beautiful. Uh, uh, kid, uh. Oh God. <laughs> so enter Fiji guy. I go to Fiji. Um, the fun part about the Fiji story is actually Fiji guy left Fiji early because the, the, the plane, the guy who owned the plane was like, hey, we want to go now. And he was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. We have to go. Like, I still have the hotel room. Like, you can stay for a few more days, but I have to go. And I was like, cool, see ya. <laughs> so then I hopped on Tinder while I was in Fiji and ended up meeting this Australian. There's always an Australian somewhere. There's That's always all, an Australian. They're, they're everywhere. So then in Fiji, but nobody really knows this part of the story. Then in Fiji, I met this Australian. So then I continued talking to the Australian. He was like, well, why don't you come to Australia? And so I was like, well, how can I get to Australia without having to pay for it? And I was like, 
looking up roller derby boot camps in Australia. So I actually found one, had them send me out, never ended up meeting up with the Australia guy, but he's the reason I ended up going out there originally. He was like the seed planting. So September was Fiji guy. January was Australia. Then in February, I ended up going to Cuba. So I went to Cuba with a guy that I was dating at the time. And so we went to Cuba for a week. And then in Cuba, I'm like sitting on my porch, looking out over like dilapidated, like crazy, beautiful Cuba and literally get this download from the universe. That's like, it's time to sell your shit and travel. And I was like, okay, let's go. So come back home. I wake up the next, this is when I started really getting into like hearing my intuition. I wake up the next day after we get back and I'm like, I should learn to scuba dive. So I call my friend, I'm like, yo, I want to scuba dive. She's like, perfect. I'm going to teach you. She's like, we have a class next weekend. So I go take the class, message my brother. I'm like, bro, I'm going to learn how to scuba dive because he's a scuba instructor. He goes, sweet, we're going to Egypt in two weeks. Do you want to come scuba dive with us in the Red Sea? And I'm like, yes, I fucking do. (laughs) So went out, scuba dived in, in Egypt and it was phenomenal. I went out to the pyramids, got to go climb inside the Great Pyramid. Like it was mind blowing. And after I got home from Egypt, it was like full on sell everything. So I got rid of my car. I got rid of all my belongings. I found someone to literally, I was like, what's the best case scenario. I was like, what if someone bought everything I owned and just moved into my apartment? So I found some college kid that just graduated who purchased everything I owned. I literally just got to like walk out of my house. Like it was an Airbnb and just fucking (laughs) drop Mike, walk away with my dog and (laughs) your backpack. He took the car too. I did get to sell. I did just sell the car. I used those internet companies and they came and looked at it and they just cut me a check on the spot. Um, and so from there, the goal was I was going to travel for three or four years. So this is summer of 2019. I end up in Canary Islands and Cyprus uh, for a couple months, went over and went to Jordan. We talked a little bit about like going to Wadi Rum and Petra. Um, and then I was going to go to Costa Rica, three to six months in Costa Rica. And I got here in January of 2020 and was like, Costa Rica's cool. Okay. And then, oh shit, the world's shutting down. Oh my God, they're going to shut the borders. Wait, I don't have a home in the U.S. Am I going to go move in with my parents? America is melting down. What the fuck? (laughs) I guess I'll just stay in Costa Rica and hope that their economy doesn't collapse. So I just stayed like I, it was like they were basically like, if you're going to stay, just know you are staying indefinitely because our borders are closing. So you we went, just stayed. OK, <laughs> cool. I guess I just live here now. And then <laughs> and then I ended up in from going from Santa Teresa to Nosara, fell in love with this town, fell in love with this wave. It's like this magical little community. And I just bought some property and never left. Yeah. Nosara is uh, where I went to go learn to surf. I was yeah. there for a week. This is back in 2006, but uh, it was like New Year's week. Like yeah, I was there for New Year's Eve, which was not much in Nosara. It was a sleepy little beach town, but you're telling me it's not so sleepy anymore. It's not so sleepy. I just went to like a 300 person Halloween party in a in the middle of a in the middle of a field in like knee deep mud with a DJ under a thousand person tent. <laughs> okay. It's really weird. It's become this weird mecca of like surfers and like pseudo spiritual party people. It's really, it's a very fascinating like mix of what's happening here. Do you get a lot of um, commuters, like uh, people there for a month or just for the winter? I met a lot of those guys down there. I met a guy, I hung out with a guy who was in construction in Boston or something, but he'd spend his winters down there and he would go back up for the summer. Yeah, you get a lot of the high season people that come like November, December, January, February, March. And then it gets real quiet April through November. So it's starting to get pretty busy down there. It's picking up. I mean, it never actually really slowed down the way apparently it usually does. Um, Because of the pandemic, so many people just stayed. It was just better to be here than somewhere else, you know. So if you could just stay indefinitely, what is your visa situation there? Did they make you, did they give it a pass this during the pandemic and just say, we're not going to make you leave. Yeah. During the pandemic, basically they kept extending our visas from March till March. So we had a full year here without having to do a visa run. Um, but now, um, you basically just have to leave the country every 90 days. Um, I did just apply for residency though. So I have a, a little bit of a pass cause my residency appointment is until like next August because they're so backed up. 
So I don't technically have to leave, but my driver's license expires. So I should. So there's like weird little, you know, in a smaller country, there's weird little like clerical things that don't line up and make no sense. But, you know, it's part of living in, living yeah. in Central <laughs> Right, right. How's your Spanish these days? Super bien. <laughs> Estoy aprendiendo español. Tomo clases tres días por semana. All right. You're getting there. Yeah, I'm trying to like, you know, date some Ticos, get a little practice in. <laughs> the uh, buying property, I know because when I was there 15 years ago, I tell people there was nothing like it was all Century 21 signs and everything else. And they were really going after Americans and, and to buy property down there. And I know that it's been, uh, you know, found out it's taken off. But is is I heard it's easier to buy property there as American as opposed to like Mexico, which is a lot more red tape or like Mexico. You can't buy as a foreigner on the beach and stuff. And you can't buy anywhere in Mexico. I don't think, isn't it all hundred year land leases in Mexico? No, you can, uh, you can buy, I have, you know, I've known people that bought in Mexico, but there's certain rules. If you're like within a distance to the ocean, uh, if you're a foreigner and things like that, and it, it's a little more hassle, but I guess Costa Rica is less hassle to buy property, right? It was pretty easy to buy property here. I mean, I went through a realtor, but it was pretty easy to do. Do they make you go through a local bank? If... No, I just used an escrow company. Okay. All right. Yeah, I was just I was wondering about that because I mean, so many people are looking to uh, you know, leave basically and yeah. and live somewhere else and retire somewhere especially. There's a lot of retirees down there. Um, what have you learned living in in Costa Rica in this past year uh, that maybe you didn't expect to learn? Were there any big surprises? I have learned to distinguish the smell of monkey shit. <laughs> With, what, fresh and old? Or, or Yeah, like, like the dog will walk up to me because I brought my dog, right? And I'll be like, you rolled in monkey shit, didn't you? <laughs> and he'll be like, yeah, I did. <laughs> Things I never thought that I would know. Um, I've learned how to open a coconut with a machete. Useful. Also, sure. Really good skill. Um, I've learned how to surf. Um, but mostly I've just learned how to have a way more simple life. Like it's so simple down here. I feel bad. Sometimes I call my mom and she's like, what's new. And I'm like, I sit in a hammock all day and then I go surfing and then I drink a coconut and then I go to bed. Like it's so <laughs> I just love the simplicity of it. Right. But I mean, you're not exactly doing nothing. You're running a business. You, you have a whole business you're running. I do. I do. I have employees, which is helpful. So I delegate a lot. Okay. You're Chrissy Crash Industries. I am. Crash Course. <laughs> Crash Course. Crash Course LLC. That's very, uh, that's very four-hour work week you're delegating. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I have learned to delegate. I've had some really great mentors. And so I try to, you know, I have a solid one day a week that I work. Like that's like Tuesday is like my work day. Um, but the rest of it, I fill up with other things like learning Spanish and reading books. And, you know, I'm trying to fill my life with like good, rich extracurricular activities, you know. Have you had any visitors from home or anybody, a family come to see you or anything? Yeah, my dad came down uh, November of last year, which was really great. Uh, especially, you know, with the pandemic, I hadn't seen, it was the longest I had gone without seeing my family ever. And so he came down in November and then my mom came down this past April and it was just nice for like them to come down and really like experience life here, you know, just see what I've been doing and like understand why I stayed. Cause I think, I think it's hard for people when they haven't seen it to be like, why are you there? Like, what are you doing? there? <laughs> um, do they think, I mean, I know they fear for you and everything, but did that ease their fears when they see your life down there? And did you, did that calm them down a little bit? Yeah, I think, I think it's hard for a lot of people, you know, when you leave the country, it feels like everything outside of the U S is so unsafe and like, <laughs> you sure you want to go there. And, you know, I've felt significantly less safe walking down some streets in Long Beach than I have living in Nosara. Granted, oh yeah. There, there is danger here. You know what I mean? Like living in Santa Teresa, like you don't go down to the beach at night because you might get like stabbed or robbed. 
Um, but that's part of travel. Part of travel is going to other places and not being an idiot. Like you have to like know to keep your wits about you or, Hey, maybe don't take that drink from that stranger or, you know, like just being aware of your surroundings. Have you had a chance to visit any other places in, in Central America? Have you gone down to like Panama or any of the other Belize? I haven't yet. Um, I'm actually probably going to go scuba diving in Belize in December, which I'm really excited about. That's great. Yeah, I'm pumped for that. One of my employees is going on a cruise there. And she's like, I'll be in Belize. I was like, I'll come visit you. She's like, really? I'm like, yes, just tell me what dates. Like, I will come. We'll go scuba diving together. So um, I definitely want to go see her and go go dive the blue hole. And, and I did it. I told you about that. We talked about that. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's deep. It's pretty dark down there, yeah. but it's deep. Yeah. Um, it's cool. I mean, it's, it's the second biggest reef after Australia. So, and as I tell people now, not to be a bummer, but if you're into nature, uh, you better see these places sooner than later because they're going away. So yeah, it's, it's good. So if you sad. Can, yeah. It's really, really kind of a bummer, but have you been much to, um, South America or anything like that? Um, you did go to Brazil. Home. You went to Brazil. Brazil pretty much it. Um, but I do hear there's a lot of really good surfing down there. So I'm thinking at some point I got to make my way down. Yeah. You should go to Peru too. I've heard that. And actually one of my friends, um, wants to go to Machu Picchu at some point in the near future. So I think I'm going to be taking that trip at some point. My last foreign trip uh, before it was January of 2020. And I was in, uh, Medellin, Colombia, which is a cool city you should check out as well. Nice. How is it? Is it like, is it like city city or is it like small town city? No, it's a city. I mean, yeah. it's, it's definitely a city, but it's, uh, it's up in the mountains and it's, it's beautiful and, you know, crazy history, of course, with the, yeah. with the, you know, eighties and, and all that. So it's tough because they're trying to outlive that reputation of being like the most dangerous cocaine capital of the world. But, uh, yeah. you know, they're coming around and it's, it's pretty, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, it's worth, it's worth checking out. Definitely. Yeah, it'll go on the list. Yeah, and your list has got to be pretty long now. I mean, you've tasted travel. What are what are the? Give me your bucket list. Give me your top five. I gotta get to Southeast Asia. Oh, you haven't? Come on, no. really? I've never. You been haven't to been to Thailand. You got Thailand I, written all over you. I know, but the problem is I have the dog, and so when I was doing like a lot of the more like nomad travel, is you can't just up and take a dog to Thailand. It's not the same no. as Europe. No. So. There's that. Um, but so Southeast Asia is like on my like sooner rather than later list. Um, definitely want to explore more of South America. Basically at this point, now that I love surfing, I basically just want to go surf everywhere where there's cool <laughs> and I can see cool shit. And did you, well, you went to Australia. Did you surf when you were in Australia? I did a little bit. I just surfed one day. Um, I wasn't a big surfer at that point either. So it was like, I didn't have like surfer friends. It wasn't like, oh, let me just go shred some gnar. Like I had no idea, <laughs> you know. Have I have I mentioned a place called Long Beach? Have you you may want to check that out. <laughs> Long Beach. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, so, is there anything you miss about the U.S.? Even if it's like a um, a piece of food, did you tell your dad like, you know what, bring me Twizzlers or some kind of crazy thing? Like, Twinkies? Two things. Okay. Two things I miss from the U.S. I miss salads in a bag. <laughs> you know where you can get like the bag of salad and it comes with like the pre-measured out toppings? Sure, sure. I miss bag salads. <laughs> as, a, as a fitness coach, right, for me, like one of my simple things in shopping in the U.S., I would buy like four bag salads and a rotisserie chicken. And I was like, sweet, I got meal prep for the week. Right. So I really miss bag salads. I also miss cupcake shops. <laughs> we're opening up a sprinkles down there oh my god i would kill because you can't find good frosting here man like oh really it, 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 what do they put on their cake they make this like weird frosting made from like vegetable oil oh i want, yeah. I want some fucking buttercream plus it's so hot here you take buttercream outside and it just yeah yeah i will say you know as someone who does like food costa rican food is not uh it's it's fine, but like it, it's very common. Like uh, in all Central America, there's some meat, there's some rice and beans, and plantains, and th there you go. 
And it's just, <laughs> that's, yeah. I didn't find anything that it really stood out in Costa Rica other than that. What's that little uh, sauce, the brown the, with the green label, the brown bottle oh, with the green? What's it called? Lozano's. Yeah, that was on every single table. And I kind of got hooked on that on my eggs. And yeah, I, you, know you can't get it here. No, but you know what you can order off Amazon is iguana sauce. Get the green iguana sauce off Amazon. It's way better than Lozano's. And okay. It's delicious. Iguana but sauce. Did you eat any patacones when you were down here? I don't know. What is it? It's where they flatten and fry a plantain and it's like crispy and you like dip it in guacamole or ceviche. Oh, yeah, yeah. They yes. make it, it's almost turned it into a chip. Oh. Yes. So the, the, the patacones down here are delicious. The ceviche down here is mind blowing. There's so much good ceviche. Um, and all the fresh fish, I was dating a fisherman in Santa Teresa that would just bring me like chunks of fresh caught like tuna every day. <laughs> you would just cut it up and just eat it raw. I mean, there's so much fresh fish down here. And you do learn to become like a connoisseur of beans and rice and, and <laughs> meat, like, like, like gallo pinto, you know, do you have gallo pinto when you were down here for breakfast? Is that, uh, what is that? It's beans and rice mixed together. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, like there's certain places you can go where they have like really good gallo pinto and some places just have really generic. So you learn to like kind of be like a connoisseur <laughs> of the Costa Rican food. A bean connoisseur. Who thought? Who would have thought? Yeah. There's this little, there's this little, so they call them sodas here. Sodas are the little sort of quick food restaurants. There's one down here called Soda Mati. Has the best gallo pinto I've ever had in like all of Costa Rica. It's like, because you got to make the beans and the rice. They have to make it ahead of time, right? So you have to cook the rice a day ahead. And then you mix it in with like some cilantro and some tomatoes and onions. But the key is a really good gallo pinto. When they cook it, they almost like fry the rice a little bit. So it's like slightly crispy. And so you get these mm. like beans with this like slightly crispy, really savory rice. Like, oh, so good. <laughs> now I'm hungry. Now I'm hungry. So you're going to be our Costa Rica tour guide here for a second. Uh, okay. I've only did the one trip there. I was there for a couple of weeks. But I always tell people when they ask me about it, uh, it's doable in a short period of time. It's not that big of a country. I mean, that we're used to. I guess it'd be the size of like, I don't know, what would it be? Georgia, maybe? And it's a little bigger oh, than small. that. Yeah, it's, um, you can get around pretty quickly. But uh, you got to rent a car. First yeah. of all, San Jose, the capital, I was not impressed with at all. I call uh, it the seven circles of hell. Yeah, San Jose is not good. So you, you basically get off the plane, you got to rent a car. And yeah. it's got to be a four-wheel drive because the roads are horrendous. Have yeah. the roads improved at all? <laughs> yeah, the roads have actually improved quite a bit. I think China actually poured a lot of money into Costa Rica. Like Costa Rica sold a lot of their fishing rights. Oh, the dog's good. I could be wrong. I may have just made that statistic up. No, they're, the, the, the Chinese are doing this around the world. Yeah. <clears throat> so the road infrastructure here is actually really getting a lot better. Um, the problem is, is that it, a lot of it is two to th two or four lane highways, mostly like two lane highways. So we drove from Nosara to Puerto Viejo, which is East coast to West coast. It's 124 miles. How long do you think it took me to drive 124 miles? Well, if you get stuck behind a, uh, a tractor for half of it, which is possible, 124 miles, like here in America with no traffic, that'd be a couple hours. There, uh, a whole day? How long did it take? 10 hours. 10 hours. 10 hours, Ten hours straight <laughs> without a stop to drive 124 miles. And so it's like, it's easy to get around. If you're going to come down and you can afford it, fly, because you can fly from, you can fly from Nosara to San Jose for $140 and it takes 40 minutes, or you can drive from Nosara to San Jose and it takes five and a half hours. Yeah. That's what I did. I flew from San Jose to Nosara yeah. and there is a little airport there, but uh, the, the guys, and I'm not giving the plug, I mean, you know what? I'm going to say it. Safari Surf School. And you said they may not be around there anymore, but there was these two guys from Hawaii and they're nice enough guys, but they, they said, oh yeah, we'll pick you up. It was like Christmas day I was landing and there'll be a car waiting for you. And so I get there, there's nobody, nothing. I'm literally stranded. And it, the, the, you saw the Nosara airport is just a field with a shack on it. 
And I'm literally watching a chicken cross the road, was standing there with my bags alone. And I had him ask a guy in my broken Spanish with a pickup truck to drive me to this hotel. And I get to the hotel and the guy's just like behind the desk. I was like, yeah, I'm here to check in. He's like, oh, is that today? Yeah, man, that's today. He's already wet because he was surfing. And, you know, (laughs) like, dude, he just left me there. And then I had prepaid for like, two surf sessions a day and then food and stuff like that, which is all a mistake uh, because the food is so inexpensive. You'll overpay if you prepay. So I tell people don't prepay for the food. I mean, you can go eat a meal for $2. So don't, don't do that. Well, you can't really eat a meal here for $2. Well, maybe not anymore. This at the time you could, it depends. A meal is a big, you know, a snack. Now you can get like a breakfast burrito for 10 bucks. Oh Jesus. Really? It's oh. like LA prices here now. Yeah. Oh, I mean, no. If you, to, if you go to like a little soda, you could get breakfast for like $7. Okay. How much is a beer now? Mm, an, an Imperial. An Imperial is like 15 mil. So what is that? Like three, $3. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's expensive for, for central, central America, actually. We Cheap call for this, here. This is, like the, this is like the Beverly Hills of central America. I'm sure if you went into like, into like hometown, hometown, like Nosara, like somewhere or not Costa Rica in the middle of nowhere, you could probably get a beer for like a dollar, but right. not in Nosara. So there's the Arenal Volcano, mm-hmm. there's Monteverde, yep. all very drivable, you could get to. Yep. Uh, so there's a lot of great nature to see. There's jungles and all this stuff and, and hot springs and all that. Hot springs, hot springs key. Don't go pay for the hot springs because the hot springs at the resorts are the same hot springs that are running directly next to the road. You just park your car on the side of the road and you go just jump in the warm river. (laughs) That's a good tip. Uh, So those are the big places. What are the kind of offbeat places that maybe people don't know about? Give us the insider tip other than sitting in the hot river. Other than sitting in the hot river. I haven't done a ton of travel all over Costa Rica. If you surf, I really like Pavones. It's down south. It's a tiny little surf town. Um, there's always a ton of great waterfalls. I would say wherever you go, just ask for like where the local waterfalls are. Um, we have a couple here that are super magical. You can like hike into and stuff like that. Definitely do the zip lining here. Um, horseback riding here is gorgeous. All that stuff for sure. What about the typical like crime questions? Um, I always tell people, you know, just gotta have your wits about you. You don't leave your stuff on the beach. You don't bring anything valuable out to places. You don't leave stuff in the car. You know, this yeah. is kind of basic stuff, yeah. but any other tips? Um, I mean, that's pretty much it. Like I went surfing the other day and someone stole my sarong, but they didn't steal my dog. So, you know, that's fine. And the dog did not guard the sarong. Apparently the dog did not guard the sarong. <laughs> <laughs> Does the dog just watch you surf, just sit there and watch you surf? No, my dog is the greatest salesman alive. So what my dog does is he finds a coconut and then he carries that coconut around to any person that he can find and he places it at their feet. And then he looks at them up at them and he does this little dance with his front feet. Like, hi, are you going to throw this? Hi, are you going to throw this? And they either are like, oh my God, you're so cute. And they throw it or they're like, bro, I'm trying to have a surf lesson. Like take your coconut off my board and they throw it. And either way, as soon as they throw it, they're fucked. (laughs) Just going to keep bringing it back and bringing it back. So he entertains himself all the time while I'm surfing. (laughs) How old's the dog? Three years. Oh, okay. So a lot of energy. A lot of energy. He's a mini Australian shepherd. So he has a lot of energy. So you brought him down there or you got him down there? Yeah, I brought him from California. He actually went Canary Island, Cyprus, Amsterdam. He went with me through the whole thing. Okay. I don't know anything about the Canary Islands. I mean, I know where they're at, but I've never been. What 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 are they like? Um, they're like little rocks in the water. <laughs> right. I wasn't a big fan of La Palma, La Las Palmas, but because they hate dogs there. There's no nature. It there is a volcano, but it was kind of whatever. Tenerife was a little better. Um, stayed at a really great co-living space called Nine that was phenomenal. Um, wouldn't go back, but basically I was in Europe and it was like November and I was I basically just Googled what's the warmest place in Europe during November and Canary Islands came up because they're technically part of Spain, but they're on the coast of Africa. So they was like still freezing, but it was better than anywhere else. 
Did you go to Morocco? I didn't go to Morocco. Okay. Because they're surfing there, apparently. Yeah, but can't get the dog into Africa. Oh, right. Well, can get the dog into Africa, but at that point, I'm not sure how it is now. Dogs from Africa are not allowed entry back into the U.S. Yeah, you can't get them out because they don't know what, you know, they could be carrying something. Yeah, it's tough. Um, So I talked to a lot of digital nomads here. And a lot of them have different experiences of working and living overseas. What advice can you give to people that want to run a business from somewhere else? Because some people talk about, uh, you know, establish it before you go. Don't just show up somewhere and think, oh, I'm going to make money online. And it's like, get it generating and going before you go and, you know, make it its own entity. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I read the four hour work week in 2009. I didn't sell all my shit and start traveling until 2019. So I wanted to be in a position, like I had a very clear like number in mind of like, I want to be making X amount of dollars before I go and do all this stuff. So I would say, I mean, it's just, it's just too risky to try to go and then figure it out because eventually you could just get stuck with no cash, but also it's kind of, I mean, I guess if you're into that kind of thing, it just seems like it'd be really stressful of like trying to make ends meet. Like I want to travel, I want to travel kind of bougie. Like I don't want to be like trying to make ends meet. Well, you know, we, you get to, I mean, you're younger than I am, but I mean, you do get to a point in life. I can tell you that that's like, you know what? I'm, I'm too over the hostel, man. I can't, uh, no, <laughs> I, I need My back needs a bed. Yeah. I don't and want my, my own, own bathroom and my own toilet. Yeah, exactly. And my own kitchen. <laughs> So how's the Wi-Fi situation where you're at and in the country? I know there's the danger of going to a cheaper country is there are some infrastructure issues and all of a sudden, hey, the power's out all day. What? (laughs) But I'm working. Nope, it's out. Sorry. There's a couple hotels here that have power all the time, but um, power goes out. Wi-Fi goes out. I mean, you know, like I prepped you before our podcast. I was like, hey, the power might go out. So if it does, just hang tight and I'll be right back. You know, or like um, some of the towns that I've lived in, the cell phone service is just horrendous. That was probably the hardest part was living in an area where you only had like one bar almost everywhere. That I think is probably the hardest part. But I would say if you are traveling as a digital nomad, um, Google Fi was the best investment I ever made. So Google has a cell phone carrier called Google Fi. And it works in over 200 different countries around the world. So instead of wherever you go, having to get a new SIM card, I just have my phone, wherever I show up, my phone links into the cell phone service there. Uh, my, my data is like really cheap. It's already set up. The only thing I really pay more for is like actual international phone calls. How much is it as a, like a monthly service? It's $20 a month to have Google Fi. And then it's $10 a month per gig that you use up to 60 gigs. So you pay a maximum $80 a month for your cell phone, plus any minutes that you use, phone calling minutes. Now, like your web activity, like working on your site and all that stuff, you do that all through your phone Wi-Fi or do you do it? You have a separate home Wi-Fi service. I have home Wi-Fi and then I have my computer. But I mean, I do a lot of stuff on my phone. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know, in terms of like, um, let's say healthcare there or, or like doing business, is there a certain style of the way the locals do business that you had to get used to? Because I know my friends in Mexico really had to get used to, to Mexican style of business. Um, what, what have you run into? I'm not used to it yet. <laughs> right. It's very, I mean, like they say here, it's very Pura Vida. Like it's, Stuff happens at the pace that it happens at that, that goes for business. That goes for dating <laughs> goes for a lot of things. Right. I, I mean, uh, to, to them, I would think to a local guy, you must seem very American, like in terms of like, you know, you're so independent and, you know, brash and, you know, tough. They're not, I don't think you're the typical you know, there's a machismo in Latin America that maybe you you stand up against. Uh, do they dig that, or for or they dig it for a while? It's interesting, and then they like try to tell you what to do, and you're like, oh, oh no, oh, we're not uh, Chrissy Crash. Don't play that. Do you you pull yeah. that on them? That's that's usually where it ends up going south. 
And yeah. that actually was in business as well as in relationships here of like trying to be very well aware of like being a woman in like a very machismo country, you know, trying to work with an architect who hasn't gone back to me in a month and a half with renderings for a house, you know, and trying to be nice about it, but also being like, listen, bro, I'm your employer and you don't have to work for me if I don't want you to, you know, but like try, but then also like, trying to be nice about it because you don't want to like hurt their stupid ego. Like, <laughs> I haven't figured it out yet. I'll let you know if I do. <laughs> okay. Is, is the plan to stay there? I don't know, permanently, or do you want to keep moving? Um, I'll probably base here, which was always the goal was to find a couple places I wanted to like base out of and like live out of. I mean, I just really love the wave here. I still want to do more travel. Um, but I am, I purchased some property here. I'm building a home but I will likely just keep like renting out my house there here and then um, living in the place I'm living now. So I have a secondary source of income. And then once things open up a little more, then I'll continue to travel. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I know it's such a weird time though. It's like I, every, every plan you make, it's all in pencil. How were the, the numbers down there and were there like the hospitals filling up or was it a problem? Yeah. Well, they did such a good job of shutting the borders right away that it stopped the initial influx. So initially the numbers looked great, but as soon as like they reopened the borders that we had the inundation of it. So our numbers were basically about six months behind everyone else. Um, I, I, I honestly just stopped following it at some point, but we did get to the point where the hospitals were getting full and all those things, but they finally rolled out vaccines here and, and all that stuff. And, you know, the thing here too, is it's like, we spend so much time at least where I live in like the peninsulas and things sort of the outside areas, not in big cities, everybody's just outside a lot. You know, there's a lot more fresh air here. Have you thought of getting a, a dual citizenship or a, um, or applying for that or anything? Um, I applied for residency, which allows me to not have to do border runs um, to get actual citizenship. Here is a, about a 10 year process. Okay. But residency means you don't have to, leave every 90 days or whatever. Yeah. You basically just need to bring money into the country. So like, because I've bought property, I can apply for a resident as an investor. Yeah. Like a golden visa kind of thing. Yeah. So then I'll, then I can open a bank account, have a driver's license, get health insurance, pay into their system, like all that stuff. Yeah. I was wondering about that because like a lot of, there's a lot of golden visa programs that, you know, people are looking into and they're different in every country. Like in America, it's like a million dollars you have to invest. But a lot of countries, it's around like 250 or something like that. What's the number in Costa Rica? Um, as an investor, I think it's 200,000. They also have one called like Rentista, where as long as you're bringing in, putting $3,000 a month into a bank account here for six months or like two years or something. Um, there's a couple, there's also like a retirement one where if you can show that you have X amount of residual income from your retirement. So they have a lot of different ways of like letting people get in. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say if, if you're retiring, the problem is you want to work there. You know, I always tell people, if, oh, if you're just retiring, then most places would love to have you. Oh, you just want to sit here and spend money. Great. Come on in. It's just, it's, they worry about you taking a job from someone. That's their big, that's their big thing. So with all this that you've you've done and this journey you've gone through, I know you probably talk about this with clients all the time, but what has it taught you about yourself and what has it taught you about the world and people? What have you learned from all this? Man, so many things. It's such a deep question because like I started this journey like really starting back like with Fiji guy, right? Like ending my engagement, selling everything I own, leaving the country. I really feel like I left behind like my entire life and like just leaned into the void of whatever the fuck was going to come my way. And I think that the biggest thing that I have learned is that it doesn't matter how sure you are or how terrified you are. Everything is just going to kind of unfold how it's going to unfold and you're just going to figure it out. And that's actually what I really love about like travel is that it's just 
about staying present and like going from place to place and rolling with it. And like, cause it's always going to turn out however it's going to turn out. Is, is that a problem that people like try to, they try to control too much of their life. And a lot of it's, you can control some of it, but some of it you just can't control. Thinking that we're in control is the biggest myth that anyone <laughs> has ever believed. And I think that the pandemic was a perfect example of that. Like you can, you can micromanage every area of your life, but you might step off of a curb and get hit by a bus. You can micromanage every area of your life, but there might be a fucking global pandemic. Like as much as we love to think that we are somehow in control, we are on a teeny little speck of dust that is spinning around another hot rock in the middle of a bajillion more hot rocks in the middle of a giant universal energetic shit show. Like, so to think in any way whatsoever that we are in control of shit is hilarious. And now this is where you can get your plugs in. So tell people where they can find you. Give us the name of your sites and your uh, social media and everything. Yeah, yeah. So um, easiest place to find me is Instagram at Chrissy Crash, K-R-I-S-S-Y-K-R-A-S-H. Um, I also have a website, ChrissyCrash.com. If people are interested in working with me on nutrition or fitness or have questions about that, um, they can either direct message me on Instagram or they can go to ChrissyCrash.com. There's applications there. Um, I have a podcast as well, the Chrissy Crash Podcast. It's everywhere that you would ever possibly listen to a podcast. Um, and if anyone wants to come to Costa Rica, I am actually running a retreat this June. Um, so if anyone wants to come down and hang out with me and my dog brisket and do some cool shit, we will be down here. And all that information is also available on my website. Great. Will you be, uh, like renting out your, your new house or anything like that? No, I've actually rented out an entire hostel down here called Nisara beach hostel. Okay. We have about 14 spots left. We have 30 spots total. Um, we've rented out the entire hostel. So it's, it, it's great. It's a lot of my clients too. So it's just going to be this beautiful vibe of like people that like want to be healthy and be better and like learn. And yeah, it's going to be amazing. And we're going to like go surfing and zip lining and horseback riding and like do the whole thing. And it's going to be great. Can they learn roller derby if they want? Uh, I don't know. We'll be doing any roller derby classes down <laughs> here, but they can just Google roller derby and then the name of their town, wherever they live. And I guarantee you, you can find roller derby somewhere near you. Is there, is there a men's roller derby league? MRDA men's roller derby association. It is a thing. Ah, I, I just see like injuries in my future. Oh, you should totally um, do it. Come on. I'm 90 years old. I can't be out there roller skating. Great. We'll get you like a little walker with some <laughs> balls on the back of it. You'll be fine. I need you to teach me how to shred some gnar. Shred some gnar. Come on down, bro. <laughs> I just wanted to say that and act like a real surfer. I, though I did love surfing out there with not needing a wetsuit. That was my favorite part of it. So great. I hate so wetsuits. I, I hate them. Except like, like, cause then you get, you're in it, you're so cold and then you pee in it. And then you know, you're just floating around in like your pee. But then you like to get the pee out. You have to like flush through the neck to like get water in there, but then you just have cold water and pee. And so it didn't really help the warming up problem. It's fucking terrible. You're painting a great fo- picture there. You're painting a great picture. I'll hey. stay on the beach and throw the coconut to the dog. That's what I'll do. Well, but there's no wetsuits here, man. I just pee freely into the ocean. <laughs> oh, you're the one. I I'm thought one. that felt warmer. Yeah. Surf you near s- me if you want to warm do, up. Do you see, do whales go by there? Do you ever see whales or is it? Um... Uh, there are whales here. There are great gray whales there's some kind of giant whale that comes through here we also get those giant um oceanic manta rays that are like the size of like a volkswagen wow those are dope to see while scuba diving i've uh i'm trying to think i've been diving for 30 years those are rare to see they, we've seen they come through here a certain time of year and they we've seen them a couple times it's crazy because you'll be like looking at some little like you know crab on a rock and someone will go and you look up and there's just this car sized manta <laughs> quietly like cruising over the top. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, I didn't get real quick before I look because I forgot this now. Your scariest slash coolest surf story. Scariest slash coolest surf Either story. Either or. Coolest surf story. Surfing in Huntington Beach. Um, cause Huntington has a lot of dolphins, right? There's all, you always see dolphins and I'm out there surfing in Huntington and I like see one pop up over there and I'm like, Oh, a dolphin. 
And all of a sudden I see one pop up and go directly underneath my board. I mean, this sucker was like three, four feet wide. It was huge, straight, just underneath my board. Right. <laughs> and then a wave is coming. So I turn around and I paddle and I catch this wave and this dolphin catches this wave with me. And I'm standing up riding this wave, watching this dolphin riding this wave in front of me. <laughs> That's great. Cool. Coolest thing ever. Oh, I love those stories. That's a good way to end it. Awesome. Chrissy, it was great to meet you. Uh, hopefully I'll get down there and, and see you sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Maggie. It was super awesome. Come on down. Chrissy Crash, everyone. Mm-hmm.